The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Hello and welcome back inside the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Again, my name is Eric Little. Thank you for joining us this week. This is episode two of our 2020 season. Whether we talk about real football games, actual athletic events that happened this year, or athletes and schedules and teams from the past, that all remains to be seen. If you're just joining us and you just found us, welcome. This is a weekly podcast about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. Usually we run during the footprint of the football season. We're coming at you a little earlier this year for a few reasons, because there are Constantly things changing in the high school football landscape because of COVID and because, quite frankly, I wanted to provide some content to people that might help take your minds off of what's going on right now in the world. We all know there's a lot of negative in the world. We'll try to stay away from that as much as possible and only deal with what we know about high school football and the facts as they lie right now. So we'll have some news and notes for you this week. We'll take a look at last week's poll question. We'll introduce this week's poll, and it should be a doozy. And we'll be joined by Parkersburg South Head Coach Nathan Tanner and talk about his first season of the job and how he's gearing up for season two with all that's gone on with COVID. That's the joy of listening to a podcast. You never quite know what you're going to find. Looking at the news and notes from this week, Joe Albright of the Parkersburg News and Sentinel reported the news on Friday. No Parkersburg Catholic football in 2020. The Crusaders will not play a season. There really was no reason given in Joe's tweet and there's not been a lot of follow-up to that yet other than message board speculation. Could it be the pandemic? Could it be the cash? Could it be numbers? It's probably all of the above. We talked about how they had just hired head coach Clint Fought at the beginning of February after not renewing Lance Binniger's contract at the end of last season. There was some grumblings that maybe Binniger didn't see eye to eye with some of the school administration there, so they made a move not to renew his contract despite the fact that he'd won seven games in year two and six games in year three and just missed out on a playoff spot there. So you've got a team that went a combined 13 and seven in the last two regular seasons. Binniger's contract not renewed. Clint Fought came came in. And why that's a big deal is that if you leave Benninger in that situation, he's got all winter to recruit the hallways, to address the problem of his numbers. They knew their numbers were going to be where they were at the beginning of this year. And even without a pandemic, it would have been an uphill struggle for them to field a football team. They had a large graduating class leave from a roster that probably didn't top 20, especially not later in the season. It's a struggle anyway to go ahead and replenish that roster. It's definitely a struggle if your coach isn't getting hired until early February and you're essentially two months behind. The season ends early November. You lose touch with a lot of those folks over Thanksgiving. December, at least, you're making contact with people and you're probably not starting any kind of a weight program until January. Then when you don't hire a coach until February and gauge the interest and really see what you've got to work with, that puts you at least two, if not three months behind where they might have been had they left Binninger in place. So it was already a crucial year for them as far as building and scheduling, but also the pandemic was the second punch in that one-two, and that might have fed into the third factor, which is cash. This is an easy year to say you're not going to play football for a lot of reasons, and let's not be mistaken in the fact that they would probably be saving a lot of cash to not play a season, probably saving some money off of that athletic budget for all that goes into putting a high school football team on the field. The pandemic certainly provided a convenient excuse to save some money, but with a pandemic, there are a lot of people that don't really know whether or not it's 100% safe to play football, and at the very least, 
if you're someone that thinks it is, uh, not everybody is on board with that. Not everybody feels comfortable letting their kids play. Parkersburg Catholic's student body tends to be a more affluent student body than many other student bodies. Therefore, some of these parents may have some different opinions on the matter than parents at public schools. But as we've talked about before, there is just an uphill battle that sports are facing to happen at the high school levels in 2020. I mean, nobody wants to call those off because it's time you're not getting back. Your student-athletes can't go back and be a senior again. We already saw that in spring sports this year. A lot of people missed out on what would have been their last season to play a certain thing. People missed out on school activities. And there's a lot of people that are already slated to miss out in fall of 2020. You mentioned band and cheerleading. In the last episode, there are marching bands that are probably not going to compete to the level at which they would have competed without the pandemic. We even saw that in Ohio. They've canceled their state marching band competition. So things are getting canceled right and left that you're not going to get back for your students and your student athletes. We'll see what happens in some other places, but not a surprise that this is one of the first shoes to drop as far as this goes. As far as the impacts to scheduling, it's not as great as you might think for some of the local teams. And that's because this is a Parkersburg Catholic schedule as it was supposed to be in 2020 that did not have some of the longtime run rivals. They'd stopped playing St. Mary's a few years ago after they were unable to provide St. Mary's with a game. I believe that was during the 2017 season. Catholic could not field a team. It didn't have enough players, and so they cost St. Mary's a game, and that really ruffled some feathers in St. Mary's. So they're long gone off the schedule. They didn't have Peyton City on the schedule, and that was a good small school matchup. But the notable one was they did not schedule Williamstown this year. That was a rivalry game for a long time in the 90s when Parkersburg Catholic was in its athletic heyday under Danny Tennant. And that was a game that Parkersburg Catholic regularly won in previous years. So Williamstown's not on the schedule. Catholic had had Ritchie County on the schedule in recent years. They weren't on it this year either. The original schedule was to have Bishop Rosecrans at home, at Hannon, home against Tulsa, at Wart County, at Gilmer County, home against Frontier, home against Calhoun County, at Racine Southern, Ohio, at Webster after a bye week, and at Trinity Christian. You're only looking at four LKC games. Of the local schools, you're only within 30 minutes of two of your opponents. The rest of your opponents were a bit of a drive for Parkersburg Catholic, and that's not something that we've seen from a Parkersburg Catholic schedule or a lot of Parkersburg Catholic schedules in recent years. So the domino effect and the ripple impact is not going to be as great as if this happened a few years ago, or it's definitely not as great as the ripple effect from some of their cancellations in 2017 when they lost the game with St. Mary's because they didn't have the players, or the one with Williamson because of the IEI fire. What you have to wonder about is, does this now mean Parkersburg Catholic football doesn't come back in 2021? It may be a little while before Parkersburg Catholic football comes back if they're gone this year. If the interest was already low and you're already having trouble getting people out What happens once we get on the other side of COVID-19? Do we get on the other side of it by fall of 2021? That's not a guarantee either. And if you take football away for a year at a school, it's awfully hard to bring it back in following years. I know they've done so at 100. They had to cancel a season a couple of years ago. I know they've been able to get that back, but that was a program that really wasn't winning before, and they've not won since at any consistent basis. You have to wonder, and we've mentioned this on the program in previous years, is there still the desire to play football at Parkersburg Catholic High School from an administrative and a student body standpoint? Is that a priority in that community now uh, where it was 20, 25 years ago? It definitely was 25 years ago. That was a program that was making the playoffs every year. And one of the first programs to realize that with some consistent, solid work, you could get into the playoffs every year. 
others have followed that blueprint. So you have to wonder if this is more than a one-year suspension of football at Parkersburg Catholic High School. By the way, the Crusaders will not take the field, will not field a team in 2020. Some more schedule changes for the 2020 season, if it happens. October 2nd, Frontier has added a game at Gilmer County. October 30th, Calhoun County has added a game at Work County. For Work County, uh, they've got Webster in the pipeline, I believe, to fill another slot, so that would take them to 10 games. So they're getting Calhoun that week, and then I think in their bye week, they're going to be able to add Webster County. Uh, looking at October 2nd, what you have to wonder about with Frontier and Gilmer County, and that's a good matchup. Those are two schools of very similar size, and Frontier making the trip to Glenville will be a bit of a long trip for Frontier into West Virginia, and maybe more distance than a lot of schools should be comfortable doing going from one state to another. But you have to wonder with Frontier going to Gilmer County, where does that leave Tyler Consolidated? October 2nd is their open date. They lost a game with Ritchie County. That was their scheduled opener this year. They lost that because of COVID and because of the schedule changes that came there. Looking at Tyler's potential dance partners, Frontier and Gilmer County are two really tasty options for the Silver Knights, and they're now off the board. You'd have to think that those were options that they would have liked to have had. Uh, Gilmer County's a bit of a trip for Tyler, but they could have done it, and their schools and programs of comparable size. Same with Frontier. That's why those two schools match up so well. But the other good option for Tyler Consolidated was Roan County, and they have scheduled a matchup with North Marion, which would not have been a bad matchup. would have been the worst matchup, but it would have been a decent game for Tyler Consolidated to, to take on. And so you've got all four of those schools, Frontier Gilmer, Roan, and North Marion off the table. So where does that leave Tyler? Are they the odd person out looking for a date to fill? Or do they get creative? Do they move someone else somewhere else? Or do they schedule a game on an irregular day? Maybe like a Tuesday or something like that. That's happening in the southern part of the state. Wyoming East and West Side, the two Wyoming County schools, are going to play on a Tuesday night this year, probably as a way to finagle that rivalry onto the schedule somewhere. Uh, so Tyler Consolidated's options aren't as great as the Silver Knights probably hope they would be. But again, Frontier at Gilmer County on October 2nd, Calhoun at Wirt on October 30th. Let's take a look at last week's poll question, and I thought this was one that would elicit a lot more response than it did. And to be honest, this one ended at 11 a.m. Monday of this week. The poll shut down 11 a.m. Monday. I think probably 10 of the 14 votes and all three of the comments came within the last hour to hour and a half that this poll was even open. So this one rallied. It only had a few votes until Monday morning when suddenly people found it. We asked you, will there be a fall sports season in West Virginia high schools this year and why or why not? I really thought this would get a lot more clicks and votes than it did. Maybe people aren't attuned to the podcast yet and into our routines. They'll get there though. 14 votes, 71% of you said no, 29% said yes. So 71% of you that voted in this poll out of the 14 people said that there will not be a a fall sports season at West Virginia high schools this year. That was the prevailing sentiment of the voters in our poll. Small sample size, but that's what the voters said. Let's read the comments for you first of all. Brian Darty says, there's too much unknown. With high school sports, there's no way to support proper social distancing, especially before and after games to keep everyone safe. Without ticket sales, money will be lost for the schools and delaying the season together with the SSAC doing so would promote better sales. Saying that to delay the season, you'd make more money in the long run by letting more people in. I haven't seen if they're going to do actual social distancing and limit tickets in the stands. I know that they, they've made recommendations to ask for social distancing. They've extended the sidelines. Instead of going from the 25 to the 25, they're now from the 15 to the 15. I know it's not a lot, but it's a little bit to allow people more room to spread out. And they're doing some things before and after games. They're having teams show up mostly dressed uh, so that they can do that in their home. They can do that at their own schools. 
schools. The buses will be carrying fewer people. I know that they've urged people not to use locker rooms at facilities this year. It's going to be hard when it's cold or when it's rainy to do that. And I know that there's been talk of limiting crowd sizes at games. I've not heard any hard and fast numbers on that. So they're going to try to social distance. That's the plan that we have as of right now. But again, you raise some very good points. I know a lot of schools, I think a lot of states, have delayed their football seasons. And I would say that's in an effort so that people could plan ahead and so that you know that you're going to have that money down the road, provided we have an end to COVID. Lots to be decided, though. Craig Dutton says, as much as I would like to see a fall sports season, I'm not overly concerned if there's no fall sports, if it means to ensure everyone's safety. That should be the utmost priority in this matter, from the youngest of student-athletes to the oldest of fans. And that's a great point, too, because a lot of the fans that would come out to these games are people that probably should not be out and about in large crowds. Secondly, we're all seeing how much of a headache it's been trying to maneuver every aspect of the season to everyone's liking. It may almost be best to delay, postpone, or cancel the season to prevent any more stress on the WVSSAC. School administrators, coaches, parents, support staff, media officials, and most importantly, the student-athletes. Most people making these decisions are in part-time athletic roles, and many of them are in full-time educational roles. It's more important we focus on education, not taking a back seat and finding the safest way to keep classes in session. He later continues, also professional sports are going to have a good litmus test for a possible fall sports season, and considering what has just transpired in less than a week with the start of the baseball season, the Miami Marlins situation may already be the start of the end of organized sports in 2020. First of all, congratulations to Craig. Craig and his wife Kendra just welcomed a baby boy. Craig's now a father since we last spoke on the podcast, so congratulations to Craig. He's a longtime listener, friend, and supporter of this podcast, and hearty congratulations out to Craig and his wife Kendra on the birth of their child. A lot to tackle on, on what Craig has said. We already tackled Brian's comments. The biggest that we already took on a moment ago was that a lot of people that would come out to see these games are people that probably shouldn't be out, so maybe not holding them would discourage that from happening. There are a lot of headaches, and I think the big thing that Craig says, many people in these decision-making roles are in part-time athletic roles. Uh, many of them are in full-time educational roles. The coaches, in some cases, are not full-time educators, and while they're not the ones who have the primary say in those decisions, they're going to be consulted. The athletic director usually are administrators at the AAA level, but many times in the Class A and AA levels, these are teachers that maybe get one period a day dedicated on their schedule to serving as athletic director. Uh, These are people that don't often get the time they need to really invest in the discussions that you need to have to have a season. Education, as I said last week, is a priority. We are educating a generation of children, and while it would be nice to have sports and have the extracurriculars that enrich their lives, and in some cases, serve as the most motivation for them to do well enough in class to participate in them, we need to worry about the education first. One of the prevailing things that I've read a lot in the last few weeks is that in many cases, extracurriculars inspire people to do well. There are a lot of fringe students that teachers have not been able to reach, and it's the coaches that get to them an interaction, that structure that sports provide that serves as that motivation to get that education to push through in school. And many of the people that get through school that way, they become productive adults in society. They might not be the doctors and the lawyers, but they're holding down jobs. They're family people later in their lives. They're raising kids. They turn out okay because of the structure they had in sports. They might not do so if it weren't for sports. And the kids want to play sports, and the administrators want to provide sports for them. So I think sports and the other activities that come along with school, everyone involved will try their level best. As far as media and everyone else and support staff, we're just kind of along for the ride. It would be more convenient if we knew uh, one way or the other what's going to happen, but we don't. We're along for the ride. The Miami Marlins situation is a good one. If you're not already familiar with baseball, if you don't follow baseball, there's been an 
outbreak with the Miami Marlins this week. Double-digit numbers of cases there in less than a week. So the difference between what the Marlins are facing and what other sports are going through is that baseball is not taking place in a bubble, whereas the NBA, the WNBA, MLS, the National Women's Soccer League, NHL, all of those sports are taking place in bubbles. The NHL, there's two hub sites, the NBA, WNBA, MLS, NWSL, all of those took place in one place, in one setting. The Women's Soccer League and the MLS tournament, they're getting great numbers. Uh, I don't believe they're reporting any cases. Same thing with the NBA. They haven't reported a case. So those have all been successful when those have existed in a bubble. Baseball has not existed in a bubble. And now the look is, can the NFL do that in a bubble? If you can create a bubble, uh, meaning that these folks are in their own safe environments, uh, you can maybe do a safe season. Uh, When you're moving around outside of a bubble, it's hard to tell. College sports are in big jeopardy because the fact you can't construct a bubble around that and the same with high school sports. You can't sequester these folks away. You can't put them all away somewhere and, and have them only meet for practice and only meet to go to games. These are kids with families, and there's just not the money and the resources to do that. So they're going to come in and out of their homes, and they're going to go various places. Unfortunately, they're teens, and so many of them are probably going to parties or interacting with kids in settings where you're bringing large groups together, and all it takes is for one person in that group to have COVID for there to be a large outbreak. So I think that's going to be the bigger indicator of whether or not sports can happen is whether we can construct a bubble. The professional sports that do that will be okay, I think. The ones that can't or don't are going to have trouble, and in a high school sports case, that's where we're going to see a problem, is the lack of a bubble, and you can't build one in high school sports. It is what it is. We'll certainly do our best to see what happens at the professional levels. Enjoy that question. I want to thank Brian and Craig for their feedback. I want to thank all those who voted. Remember, you can vote for this week's poll question. It's on the Facebook page right now, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. If you haven't already liked the page, do so and vote on that question, and we'll talk about next week's poll question later in the show. Stay connected with us on Facebook. Like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, answer our weekly poll question and feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. We're joined this week by Parkersburg South Head Coach Nathan Tanner. Coach, welcome to the program. I appreciate you having me. First guest on the podcast this season. Uh, Coach, it's been busy for you at home, I know. You and your wife recently welcomed your second child. How's that adjustment going? Oh, man, it's it's been good. We joke with each other. We used to be two-on-one when it was just us two and Maximus, but now that Scarlett's entered the picture, we're having to play man-to-man. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we kind of just take turns with each child and just try to keep them as active as possible throughout the day so we can get a little bit of sleep at night. I know it's certainly a, a tall task for a lot of folks and a lot of households right now. We were talking about television beforehand. I want to ask you this here before we, we, we get into uh, talking about your team. Some of the things you were telling me you were watching, some classic football games. Uh, who, who have you rediscovered? There for a while, I want to say it was the month of April, NBC Sports Network, they were playing some classic Nebraska and some classic University of Miami games, like late 80s, early 90s, mid 90s. After Paige and the kids would go to bed, I would I would step and watch those several nights. And, you know, besides that, we have ESPNU and SEC Network and stuff, and I would watch a lot of those classic games as well. There have been several months where there's no sports at all, so yeah. it's kind of nice to see some baseball and basketball on TV now. I think I was asking you what's the most desperate thing you watched, but that wasn't a desperate thing. I think I watched more of the NFL draft this year than I probably have in the last 15 years. Oh, yeah, good point. You know, I was kind of skeptical how the draft would go with everything that's going on, but, you know, how they did it this year, I thought 
I thought it was pretty innovative. I thought it went pretty well. It was slick, all things considered. It but was. You were telling me about Nebraska and Tommy Frazier, and, and you were saying before we went on the air that you think that people forget about him because he didn't quite have the pro career of a lot of people. And I told you I have a theory on this, on why we don't remember Tommy Frazier quite as well as we remember some other players in the 90s. I think Tommy Frazier was the last big stud before college game day blew up and before that was in your living room every week. You know, you're probably right about that. That's my theory. I, I think you're right as well in terms of he didn't have the big career, but look at a guy like Peyton Manning. That's the first guy that I can think of really that blew up in the college game day era. You know, between... Yeah, between I, I mean, especially right now. Yeah. But, you know, the time we're living right now, the media just kind of drives everything. Uh-huh. And like you said, college game day, that could be... That's a very good point. I never thought about that. And between Frazier and Manning, you got some Heisman Trophy winners that didn't quite register on the NFL radar. And Gino Tourette is in there. I want to say Rashawn right. Salam is in there somewhere. And uh, Lawrence Phillips, also in Nebraska, didn't quite have the pro careers for various reasons. But again, I, I want to say it's the college game day effect that really vaulted Peyton Manning. Just took him to the stratosphere. Yeah. Tommy Frazier and Phillips. They were amazing to watch. I mean, just two grown men in the backfield just taking over. I, I, I was talking with my coaches about it. I want to say it was 94, 95. They beat a Miami team that had Warren Sapp and Ray Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> that just kind of gives you per, some perspective there. Like. And that's after they had The Rock in their linebacking court, right? He was early yeah, 90s. Yeah, actually, I, I, think, I think The Rock was on the team. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird to see that lineup, you know. You know, Warren Sapp, the big guy up front. Then watch out for Dwayne Johnson in the middle, you know, and just, well, that's The yeah, Rock. rock. <laughs> <laughs> we forget yeah. he played football in Miami. Well, you, you talk yeah. about two guys in the backfield, two dudes in the backfield. That, to me, sounds like the 2019 Parkersburg South Patriots. A big year for you all last year. Now that you've had some time to reflect, what did that mean for you as a coach? and how do you build from there? Man, Eric, for me as a coach, I just look at it as, as a blessing, really. Coming in the first year and having some talented kids like that to work with, not just talented, they're just overall great kids. They did everything we asked of them, you know, displayed uncommon effort on a consistent basis. So, you know, just my experience with them, I'm just more grateful than anything for it. It was a lot, a lot of fun. Probably the most fun I've ever had coaching. We'll start with those two dudes in the backfield. One of them you lost. One of them is going to be there this year. For Devin Gaines, what's the next step for him? I think the next step for Devin is just to build off of what he did as an individual last year. I think offensively, he he should have... uh, very similar, you know, if not better year this year. I think we'll probably have to depend on him a little more on the defensive side of the ball this year than we did last year. So in practice and weightlifting this offseason, the little bit that we've had, he's done really, really well, you know, getting his body in, in the shape that it needs to be in. We're scheduled to play this fall. If we do play, I think Devin will just continue to grow and get in better shape and I think he'll be more than ready. And then the other guy that was in the backfield leading things last year, Brandon Penn, for my money and I think for yours as well, the best player in the state. Of course, we had the pleasure of watching him play all those weeks last year. What's the adjustment like for your offense to go away from him and to go to what's next? I would say the the big adjustment is going to be in our running game. We're going to have to be a little more 
diverse with what we do, getting our our receivers involved in our running game. Whereas last year it was kind of a two-headed monster with Brandon and Devin. Both of them had 1,600 yards and 20-plus touchdowns rushing. You know, we'll still have a lot of tailback runs with Devin, but something that we've been putting a premium on in practice is developing our debt sweep game with our receivers. We got some guys that can run the football well out there in Cyrus Traw and Jake Hogsett. Jake Hogsett's had a great offseason. He's put on probably at least 10 pounds of muscle. He's a lot more twitchy than what he was last year, meaning he's a lot quicker and faster. So I look to those guys to provide the dynamic that Brandon did in the run game as opposed to Sam. Sam is going to be our quarterback. He's just a different athlete than what Brandon was. Sam Schuler, one of those guys that if you looked up football player in the dictionary, he would probably fit that bill on both offense and defense. What's he bring to the table? Yeah, I, man, I, I really like how you put that. Just a great All-American type kid. Really tough. He's very cerebral, very coachable. Something else that I think is a big asset for Sam is, is peers really like him. So in order for the offense to have good good rhythm and harmony I think it starts with the quarterback the more his teammates can gel around him the better I think with Sam's just overall character I think that enables him and our offense to have a good rhythm we haven't been able to have pads on or hit or do anything like that but just in the short three weeks that we've been able to do things stuff has gone really really smooth just from an operational standpoint with our offense so I'm really excited to see how they grow, you know, as the season progresses. And Sam, a lot like Brandon, I'm sure we'll see him grow a lot week to week like Brandon did last year. I'm excited for that. Then defensively, the big loss is those two guys up front, Jeffrey Tucker and Braxton Amos. They moved on to other things. How will you plug those spots up front? You know, it's kind of next man up mentality. I mean, we got some young guys that the verdict is kind of still out on. We're not we're not sure how they'll be, but we got some older guys too, and Noah Buckaloo, Gabe Hendershot. Both of those guys are going to play a lot of D-line this year. And like I said, we got a plethora of young guys that are going to play. It's just kind of hard to see right now because we haven't been able to hit or wear pads or anything like that. Everything is just T-shirt and shorts. And, you know, we, we see them going through drills, but until you're able to really get in there and bang, it's hard to tell who's going to play and, you know, really fill those spots. A couple things I wanted to mention, and you hit on them both. First, let's go here. Describe for the people that maybe have only read about this in the paper or seen on the television news exactly what you're able to do and have been able to do since the start of COVID. For those that really don't know or maybe haven't followed it as closely, how has this been different and and what does that lack of time look like? It's been extremely different. I know me personally has forced me to get out of my comfort zone and that's the name of the game i think that's life in general you know when stuff changes you just got to adapt if you don't adapt you end up drowning per se you're not able to grow and become successful obviously the pandemic hit and everybody went into quarantine the month of march that month of march it was kind of up in the air we weren't really doing much because we didn't know if we were going back to school you know there was just a lot of uncertainty Uh, regarding everything once we figured out we weren't going back to school we split the kids up into position groups and we started having staff meetings every week just to talk x's and o's and culture and what we would do is we would branch off with each position coach and we would meet two times a week 
meeting with the kids. Each position coach would meet with their kids through Zoom. That's just an online video call. We were more or less having position meetings on Tuesdays and Thursdays. One day would be offense, one day would be defense. Just to keep the kids engaged and interested in football. And uh, for the kids that played last year, a lot of it was review. But new players and kids coming up to the high school, we were able to introduce a lot of our schemes and philosophies and what we do and how we do it and why we do it, things like that. Also, during that time, I sent out daily workouts for the kids. They would report to me or their position coach. They would just send clips of them doing the workout. And we gave out, like, weekly awards for stuff like that. So until June, when we were able to get back together, those are the types of things that we were doing. Now, in June, they allowed us to begin workouts again. But it was very, very different. I actually took a lot of equipment out of our weight room and took it down to Erickson. The rules were you couldn't be inside. So we took our a lot of weight room equipment and put it underneath the visitor's bleachers. That way we were still outside. We had to separate the kids into uh, pods of 10, and they had to remain in that pod for four weeks. So we would have a four-hour time slot where we would have two pods come per hour, one pod would lift weights and the other pod would either work on speed, agility, or plyometrics. And at the halfway mark, we would rotate. The kids were getting tons of work in, in within that hour. But any equipment that was used had to be sanitized before anybody else touched it. Kids couldn't have a spotter, so they were having to move weight freely. I think it was a good thing. It, it taught a lot of our kids how to handle weight freely and, and move differently than they have in the past. But the whole thing with having to sanitize and the kids had to be socially distanced the entire time, that's extremely tough. Telling some teenage boys, you know, you can't be close to your buddy. <laughs> right. You know, right. this entire hour. Like I said, the sanitizing, social distancing, it kind of got monotonous too because I would be there all four hours. That's something else. I had to put coaches in certain pods, and they weren't allowed to go to different pods. They were around those same 10 kids for four weeks. They weren't able to see the other kids, which puts you at a disadvantage. But I thought our coaches and our kids did a phenomenal job working under those parameters. I, I still think we got a lot accomplished throughout that time. Once July hit, we were able to do the, the three-week period. It was under di different conditions again. Uh, we weren't allowed to do seven-on-seven seven or any competitions with any other team, so everything was inter-squad, and we weren't allowed to wear helmets or shoulder pads. So we've been in T-shirts and shorts, basically lifting weights and going about practice as close to the same as we would in the previous three-week periods and in the fall just without pads, if that makes sense. Like I said, we've had to be really innovative with what we do to where the we ensure the kids are learning and staying safe, and we're still getting better every day. Like I said, despite all of that, I'm really proud of our kids and our staff, how everybody's been dealing with it. We've had a couple instances, too, where uh, just so listeners can understand this, under the guidelines, if somebody is exposed to COVID-19, meaning, Eric, like, if you test positive for COVID-19 and I happen to be in the same room with you, right? myself, 
and anybody who I've come in contact with on our team has to either quarantine for 14 days or has to have a negative test before they can return to practice or workouts. So here recently, last Wednesday, I just shut practice and lifting down for our varsity squad. Our JV was able to lift yesterday, but um, our varsity squad has been in quarantine because they're waiting to hear back about a test. Here's some more perspective. It wasn't that anybody on our team had tested positive. It was literally a parent, you know, was around a co-worker who tested positive. And because that kid is around that parent every day and that kid was around our team during that time, yeah. that's under the parameters that we're dealing with right now. It makes stuff really difficult. <laughs> yeah, it just goes to show you what we're dealing with and, and, and the way things are and, and maybe have to be for a little bit. I want to ask you this, too. One of the biggest things you did, and we were talking about Braxton and Jeffrey earlier, uh, one of the biggest things you were able to do is to recruit the hallways last year. When you came on and you were hired early spring of 2019, has COVID-19 negatively impacted your ability to go to people in other programs and, and try to convince them to be multi-sport athletes? Yes, I'd say it would, or it has, because you know from March to May or June, when you're in that school building with everybody, you're able to interact with kids. And I do lunch duty, so I'm around 750 different kids every day. Not having that, you know, definitely impacts that. But I've been pleased with the turnout. I think there'd probably be a few more kids if we would have been in the school. I could be wrong, but yeah, I, I can't say that COVID-19 has positively impacted us in that regard, so. I'd have to agree with what you said. It's negatively impacted the recruiting aspect. Before we let you go, I'd be remiss if I didn't get some kind of a streaming recommendation from you other than what we've already talked about. Because let's be honest, we're almost five months into COVID. It's hot as blazes outside right now. And people are looking for something to watch. And they're looking for Nathan Tanner to provide that thing for them. Coach, what is it that you and your wife are watching or you've wanted to watch? I'll share one and then you can share one, all right? Okay. <laughs> I decided in March that I was going to catch up with all of the James Bond movies because there's one okay. coming out later this year. I've seen 17. I'm up to Pierce Brosnan. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I've managed to see 17 of them during this. And I'm still working, but I have less to do. So i got more time on my hands. That was my thing. I, I recommend a few of them. Many of them are eh. But what's your big thing? I have two shows, and I I'll tell you why. I feel like anytime now, if you turn the TV on or if you get on social media, there's so much negative out there. And, you know, just talking to people, it, it, it's impacted me negatively some. You know, it just oh, kind of yeah. gets you down and dump. Uh -huh. you, you read and you hear about stuff that's going on throughout the world with COVID and the race relations stuff. And, yeah. Uh, it just kind of gets you down. So something that Paige and I have been watching, I mean, the entire, you know, past five, six months, we watch The Office on a pretty consistent basis. If you've watched it, it's just kind of a, you know, outrageous type humor type deal. Not very serious. So, um, you know, it'll get you laughing and giggling and uh, just kind of get your mind off of things. We also watch Seinfeld, too. I feel like Seinfeld is just a 
timeless classic. <laughs> they both hold up exceptionally well. Yeah, no doubt. They're both extremely relevant today. So if you've not done that, go through Seinfeld, go through The Office. Those are great ideas. Well, Coach, pleasure talking football with you. I know you've got the two kids, and I won't keep you away from them any longer. We hope to be talking football with you a lot more in depth very soon. Stay well, stay healthy. Good luck to you and the Patriots, and uh, we'll see you down the road. Hey, same to you, man. Thanks for having me. Let's take a look at this week's poll question. Again, if I thought I was jumping in with both feet first last week, we're really jumping in this week. This week's poll question, should local schools, notably Ritchie County and Parkersburg High Schools, consider changing their names and mascots following recent controversies over the political correctness of certain nicknames? Why or why not? The answers are either yes or no. Vote. The poll runs until Monday, August 3rd. You can find that on the Facebook page, Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Again, should local schools, notably Ritchie County and Parkersburg High Schools, consider changing their names and mascots following recent controversies over the political correctness of certain nicknames. And we've even seen this with some school names. Stonewall Jackson Middle School in the Charleston area, they voted to change its name. I know there's been some talk about whether or not Robert C. Bird High School will keep its high school name or would continue to be named after Robert C. Bird. Uh, there's been some issue over Confederate imagery, whether we're incorrectly honoring Confederates or the Confederacies at the risk of honoring those who maybe have contributed more to society and maybe we're being insensitive to certain races groups or ethnic groups based on who these buildings and things are named for. I don't like to comment on a lot of the coming week's question until we get your answers in the poll. I don't want to influence the question, but I will just say this. Sometimes the meanings of names can change beyond the original intent, and that's based on things that are out of our control. When they named the Cincinnati Reds many, many years ago, no one imagined that for a time, Reds would be a term that would be considered evil or that would be considered untoward in this country. There was a time, though, in the 50s when Senator Joseph McCarthy of Wisconsin was actively hunting communists in our government. We later realized he was kind of grasping at straws, by and large, and trying to draw attention to his own cause as a relatively minor senator up until that point. But what that did was create a red scare in this country. And so anyone that had any even vague connection or vague looking connection to communism, they were scurrying away from that. So Cincinnati actually changed the name of their baseball team from Reds to Red Legs. And they went as the Red Legs for several seasons in the 50s and 60s so that they would not be caught up in this communist wave. Believe it or not, McCarthy actually started that with a speech in Wheeling. So there's a West Virginia connection for you right there. Even something like that, that had been around for many years, because of changing tides in society, the name took on a connotation that they were not prepared for. I've heard it said about Ritchie County High School that the name Rebels comes from the fact that many people thought it was an act of rebellion to close down Pennsboro and Harrisville High Schools and to consolidate those schools and open a new school in Ritchie County. And that was the attitude of rebellion around that. Maybe that was the original intent, but over the last 25 to 30 years, there have been many, many, many depictions on signage and advertising everywhere you go in Ritchie County of a Confederate rebel, even the mascot for a long time. So people drew to that imagery, and maybe if that wasn't the original intent, and I am cynical about whether or not I believe that in the first place, but even if that wasn't the original intent of that nickname, the name now means something else, and you can't take it away from that. You can't separate it from that. At the very least, there's a lot of Confederate imagery around that name. Look at Parkersburg High School. They have a mascot that is a dancing Indian. It's usually a white kid that comes out onto the basketball floor, comes out onto the football field, dances around, and some would call that honoring a Native American tradition, but some would say that's mocking a Native American tradition. I'm not one to say what that is. That would be for a Native American to tell you that. How does that make them feel? But there's no one-size 
one-size-fits-all answer to this question. And if you don't like a new nickname, change it again in a few years. Nicknames are a relatively 20th century thing as far as the permanency of those nicknames. A lot of professional sports teams in the late 1800s, even the college teams, they would change year to year, and the nicknames would be emblematic of who that particular group of people were. Of course, we branded those, and they have an identity now, and the merchandising and the brand loyalty that you see out of even high school identities, that sticks and is part of tradition. Uh, but every once in a while, just because something has been that way for years and has been tradition for years, that doesn't mean it's worth saving. That doesn't mean that it's sacrosanct. There are no sacred cows when it comes to political correctness. And political correctness sometimes is viewed as a dirty word. Political correctness is just being nicer to people that maybe don't look like you or don't come from your background. So consider that before you vote in this. Uh, there's a lot of aspects to it. I know that sometimes we, we have trouble letting go of tradition and letting go of things that have been a certain way for a long time. But if nothing else, COVID-19 has taught us that sometimes greater forces come in that force you to rethink what has been done in the past. So you have to think there are some people in the community that are offended by some of these names. There are petitions online. We'll get much more into this next week. There's even one wanting to change the Morgantown Mohegans to the Morgantown Mothman, which doesn't make sense because Mothman is from Point Pleasant. And besides, Mohegan's a made-up word. It's not even a real word. Many of you did, might not have known that. But either way, this has been not just a controversy locally, but statewide. But we'll tackle it locally on next week's program. One of the things I want to do this year on the podcast, and one of the things I probably should have been doing throughout the years, is to bring awareness to some of these fundraisers that local teams are involved in. So if you have a fundraiser, and it comes across my desk, or if I see that in my email, or if you let me know about that for your football team, not for, you know, just this or that. I'm talking about for your football team, I'll let you know, to kind of support the local programs. St. Mary's High School is doing one. They're having the first ever Coach Bill Hanlon A Win is a Win is a Win Night. In honor of Bill Hanlon, we lost him not long ago. That event is set for Friday, August 14th at 7.30 p.m. Of course, the name of that comes from the fact that Hanlon sang a win is a win is a win. That's what he always used to say after games. And they're going to try to raise money through that event to create a Coach Bill Hanlon scholarship to be awarded by the St. Mary's End Zone Club during Senior Awards Day at St. Mary's High School. They're also trying to raise money to help with the cost of the End Zone Club has to meet the needs of players. So it's a very player and student oriented cause. A win is a win is a win night. They got some cool events as part of that. There's a bench press Liftathon that they're going to be doing as part of this, and people are going to be asked to sponsor bench pressers, I guess you'd say. You pledge a certain amount for each pound, and for each pound that somebody lifts, that donation will be a certain amount of money. So players will be soliciting uh, donations for that. All that money goes to the End Zone Club. There's an obstacle course, seven-on-seven seven action. Fans who are going to be in the stands, you're required to wear masks if you go to that, but again, that's going to be open to the public to attend at 7.30 on Friday, August the 14th, and there'll actually be coverage of that event on Light Rock 93R. St. Mary's End Zone Club is having the first ever Coach Hanlon a win is a win is a win night. The money going to the St. Mary's End Zone Club in order that Coach Bill Hanlon scholarship and to meet the needs of student athletes. Again, if you're with a football program and you have a fundraiser that you're doing and you'd like me to help spread the word about that, feel free let me know and uh, give me the flyer, give me the information on that. I will share it on this podcast. I know there's a lot of folks that are struggling, a lot of charities uh, that are in need of funds, a lot of nonprofits that are hurting right now. A lot of people and businesses are hurting right now, but if you have it in your heart to donate to one of these high school football programs, maybe that stimulus check comes or tax refund check comes, and uh, you got a little bit of 
extra money to spend uh, on something after you've taken care of your basic needs, maybe consider uh, supporting one of these football programs in the area. Uh, I mentioned that one for St. Mary's because that came across my desk. But again, if you've got something else that's going on, let me know and, and we'll plug it on this show and we'll spread the word. And, uh, and again, if you're someone that is a fan of high school football, that's a good way to get involved is uh, throw some financial support their way. If you can afford it, I know that times are tough for a lot of people, but you know, a donation here or there to a, a football program of your choice would be greatly appreciated anytime and especially right now. I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank our guest, Head Coach Nathan Tanner of the Parkersburg South Patriots. And I want to thank you for the download. You can find us on SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. We are a podcast that's out there every Wednesday. I feel like this week a lot of people found Episode 1 Monday or Tuesday. So this show is out there on Wednesdays. If you're not familiar with it, you can find us every Wednesday for the rest of the high school football season footprint, uh, whatever that happens to be this year. I will make changes as needed. Uh, everything is in flux this year. That's kind of the, the name of the game in the days of COVID. I'm Eric Little. I want to thank you for joining us once again. We'll have another episode of the Eric Little High School Football Podcast next week. Until then, take care of yourself, wear a mask, wash your hands, socially distance, and we'll talk to you next week on another episode of the show. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and vote in our weekly poll. Come back next week for another new episode, and thanks for listening.